Okay, everyone. Um, welcome to the USGS Earthquake Science Center seminar for November 9th. Um, everyone, make sure you turn off your cameras and your microphones. Um, so we give the speaker, speaker our undivided attention. A um, few announcements. Today at noon, there's a virtual lightning talk, uh, USGS town hall about tribal engagement, indigenous knowledge, equity and inclusivity. And our very own uh, Sarah McBride is giving a talk, a lightning talk there about shake alert. So that's at 12 right after this, or not too long after this. Um, make sure to schedule your use or lose leave by November 18th. Um, and also, if you have a government issued uh, Apple device like an iPad or an iPhone, you need to upgrade your iOS operating system by November 15th, or you might get disconnected. And then also just a reminder, Friday is Veterans Day. It's a holiday, so don't work on Friday. Uh, and so now today we have uh, Christina Maranci from Lawrence Livermore, and I'm going to pass it over to Fred Pulitz to introduce her. Thanks, thanks, Evan. It's my pleasure to introduce Christina Marenzi. Um, she's currently uh, at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. She got her master's degree and then her PhD at Ecole Normale Supérieure in Paris in 2003. The, she then did a postdoc at University of Rennes, France, and another postdoc at Dalhousie University in Canada. She then started in Princeton in 2008 as a research associate. And since 2011, she's been at Lawrence Livermore National Lab. While at Princeton, she was working in problems uh, on adjoint methods in seismic tomography. And she also adapted the seismic wave code, SpecFem 2D and 3D, to um, porous wave propagation and solving BIOS equations. Uh, since she joined the Livermore Lab, she has further adapted SpecFem 3D to handle electromagnetic wave propagation. And recently, she has combined all three of these elements, seismic wave, porous wave, and electromagnetic wave propagation, um, and uh, coupling all the um, governing equations together, uh, which is a really powerful tool, which has a lot of interesting applications. And I'll just add that Christina has been very helpful to some of us in the Earthquake Science Center when we've needed help with SpecFem 3D mm -hmm. in the past. So that's much appreciated. What do you need? I would just been, I'm trying to Okay, away. so with that, I'll oh, hand it okay. off to Christina. Thank you, Fred, and uh, thank you for the invitation. So I will share my screen right now. Go. Move into presentation mode, and I believe, yes. So yeah, today I'd like to talk about uh, seismic quick effects for subsurface characterization. And uh, it seems like a, a, a bit of an exotic uh, um, uh, phenomenon, but uh, I, I hope I'll be able to show you that it uh, can be of interest for subsurface characterization. It's actually something that is pretty old. Uh, it was for, first observed in uh, 1937, 1939 by Ivanov. Uh, we realized that, oh, uh, um, uh, uh, shaking, ground shaking of a, a medium filled with fluid would also generate some kind of an electric current. So I'm getting ahead of myself here, but that's what seismoelectric effects is, uh, is all about. So in terms of the presentation today, 
I will show you why seismic to electric conversion, because that's what these seismoelectric effects are about, uh, is quite interesting for monitoring. Then what are these, these effects? And you'll see, see that I use the acronym C uh, to refer to that, these seismoelectric effects throughout the presentation. Um, and this presentation mainly is about the numerical implementation of these seismoelectric effects. And like Fred mentioned, they actually arise from the, the coupling between bioporelastic seismic equations and the Maxwell electromagnetic uh, equation. And then I'll show also a synthetic carbon storage monitoring case before concluding, and please stay until the end because my last slide is about the, a new um, a project that uh, I'm leading at the moment, which I believe will bring these uh, seismoelectric effects uh, used to, to completion in terms of practical use. So why seismic to electric conversion for monitoring? So here I'm, I'm particularly focusing on, and let me get my laser point pointer. Yeah, I'm particularly focusing on two types of, uh, of systems, if you will, which are uh, EGS, enhanced geothermal system, where, as you know, you have a system where you are injecting cool water, which circulates in a fracture network in an area which is uh, pretty, pretty hot so that this fluid, this uh, water will get warmed up and then being um, re-injected in a uh, turbine system to generate electricity. So these are systems that are, you know, roughly five kilometers deep uh, and involved a couple uh, uh, medium of solid grains and fluid circulating in this, in this system. So it's uh, always important to optimize these uh, reservoir performance. And that happens if you have a sense of that fracture network uh, underneath the, the subsurface. Another system of interest is carbon storage, uh, that you are uh, injecting carbon uh, at depth. Um, we are looking here at one or two kilometer deep uh, kind of a reservoir system. And the idea here is, well, we want to make sure that there are no leaking of this CO2. So monitoring and being able to characterize and image this subsurface is also critical. So usually, Seismic techniques are used to do this kind of uh, subsurface characterization, but we have to acknowledge that even uh, when looking at a, a, a poroelastic formulation of the seismic equation, the, the, the seismic techniques do not fully capture fluid properties and fluid-related mechanism. On the other end, you have electromagnetic techniques, which are extremely sensitive to, to fluid properties, but do not constrain rock properties and, and have usually a shallow penetration in the ground. So here comes this natural uh, phenomena, which are seismoelectric effects, which are the translation of seismic to electric conversion. And I claim uh, that seismoelectric conversion will enable probing of the subsurface at greater depth than electromagnetic technique alone and improve sensitivity to fluid compared to seismic techniques alone. So how does that work? Seismoelectric effects are actually a poor scale uh, phenomena. And if you look here on the left side, that tells you where it comes from. The um, free saturated porous medium is naturally charged, meaning that you have this type of uh, ions uh, in, 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 in your porous medium. So on the left side, you would have the grain, which has a, um, a positive ions uh, surface, which uh, is stabilized. And that's kind of the free saturated porous medium here. Um, I mean, uh, or fluid saturated uh, 
a system here on that side where you have a series of uh, ions which are you know, free to move. So along the grain uh, surface, these ions and uh, here anions are actually stabilized with the positive uh, cations grain subsurface. So these are bounded uh, layer which do, do not move. But then are you, as you move uh, uh, further away from that surface, you have free moving ions which means that when um, a seismic wave propagates into the medium, and that's something that Thompson and Geist in the 90s observed, and they were able to uh, measure an uh, electric current based on these uh, effects. When you have a seismic source, and here at the surface, it's mimicked by you know, a hammer or some kind of uh, trigger, you generate a seismic wave, meaning a ground motion. And this ground motion put in motion these three uh, um, uh, ions. And as these charges are moving relative with each other, they are generating an electric current and then you generate an electromagnetic wave. Now, there are other effects that I will uh, highlight uh, on the next slide, but these are well suited also to kind of characterize uh, interface where there are differences, either mechanical differences or uh, electric dielectric differences. So in their case, they were able to very nicely image a gas-water interface uh, in the subsurface. And I think that was something that they did in the um, Gulf of Texas. So again, in the 90s, and that was a depth of 500 meters. So if we look at this cartoon, and we are interested in, okay, we are uh, observing these seismometric effects and how does that translate in terms of the type of uh, data set and measurements that we are we are getting so on this cartoon we are looking at um, two layer system you have a hammer at the surface so that generates your seismic source which generate seismic wave and the one here is the front of the the, the P wave, which is going to interact with this uh, interface here, generate a dipole, which will uh, trigger um, seismic, um, sorry, an electric source. So if we put at the surface a series of collocated, and that's an important aspect of seismometric effects, collocated geophones to measure the seismic wave and electrode to measure the electric current, that's the type of signal here that we generate. So on that half here, you have seismograms, so ground motion measured at the surface. You can see that you have the move out of the P wave here, the front here, one is here. So you have that move out, a classical P wave of, uh, of the system. On the electric uh, recording, on the electric part, you have a little bit more information. So you can notice that you have a move out, which resemble uh, in terms of time exactly the seismic uh, component, so that's uh, that's here. That's what we call post-seismic signal, and then you have two instantaneous uh, type of signal. That's time. So you can see that these arrive exactly at the same time. So I'll focus first on the number three. That's actually a signal which is recorded on the electric uh, uh, on the electrodes on the electric side of uh, of um, of your data set as soon as the seismic source is triggered. So that's why it arrives at very early times. The second one uh, is generated at the time where the front of the seismic signal kind of eat an interface. So an interface meaning again, uh, um, difference in mechanical properties or difference in electrical properties that generate dipoles, which generate a, an instantaneous uh, diffusive electric signal here. So again, you can see that on the seismic end, 
you know, you have your classical P wave, you would have a, a reflection later on too. But on the electric side, you are able to uh, capture co-seismic signal, co-seismic electric signal, like this one, and then these interface response and the direct field, which is associated with the, the source being seismic source being triggered. So these are, you know, the elements that we are expecting to see for seismoelectric effects. So as Fred mentioned um, uh, earlier, um, I worked with the SpecFem packages, and here that's just a summary of what uh, you will find to, for these uh, open source packages. SpecFem is qubit compatible. The online open source um, packages have an elasticity, acoustic, and poroelastic uh, wave equation. And so I added the electromagnetic and now the seismometric effects. It's not open source yet, but the, the goal is once everything is you know, validated and, and published, the, the, this will be integrated into these, uh, these packages in 2D and in 3D. The packages are also handling forward and adjoint wave propagation. Today I will focus on the forward aspect, but adjoint is where I'm going. Uh, SpecFem also handle uh, topography and bathymetry. Uh, parallel computation and GPU are also included. And you can find now these open source on these new website, httpspecfem.org. So just a summary of the type of equation that you find into SpecFem on the seismic side. So again, acoustic uh, equation, elastic equation, and the poroelastic uh, equation. Just, I will be focusing, of course, on the poroelastic uh, equation, so I wanted to show you how they look like. And as you can see, it's basically two sets of equation, uh, equations which resemble you know, the elastic uh, um, as, um, classical wave equation, except that you are resolving not only for S, the, the solid displacement, so here uh, noted as US, but also for W, which is, as you can see here, the relative movement of the fluid uh, compared to the solid, and uh, you, you weight all of that by the porosity. So that's how you are able to capture this uh, displacement in a porous medium. Now, uh, spectral element method, just a, a, a brief summary of uh, why it's something that has been so, so popular. It's um, basically a finite element approach. So you can see here for the elastic wave equation that you move from a strong form to a weak form by integrating your seismic uh, equation over your uh, domain of integration and also multiplying these equation by a test vector. So again, all of that is very much your classical finite element uh, approach. As you can see, you have to map your physical medium into a reference medium through a Jacobian. But what um, really set spectral element method apart for finite element method uh, is the use of uh, I mean, two ingredients. Lagrange polynomials to expand the, 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 the displacement and the, the, the field functions of, uh, of your system at very, very specific uh, location, which are the gauss lobato legendre integration points. So that leads to a set of polynomials that have very interesting characteristics. And you can see here, uh, degree four Lagrange polynomials. So that will be one here, another one here in yellow, the one in green and the one in blue. And what you notice is that there are specific uh, points, which are the GLL points here, 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 and here, where all these polynomials are equal to zero, except one. All the polynomials are equal to zero, except one. So that provides a, a, 
these characteristics that when you expand your field function, you actually only have one polynomials, which gives the information and all the rest is equal to zero. So when you couple that with this uh, uh, integration rule, GLL quadrature integration rule, that lead to a diagonal mass matrix. And that is the, 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 the same graph of, of spectral element method because that uh, diagonal mass matrix is very easily to invert because you are actually going line by line and just dividing by that value. So that allows us to uh, use an explicit, explicit time marching to resolve these equations. So that's, that's the key of spectral element method in a nutshell. So like I mentioned, in SpecFem, we have the BO proelastic uh, seismic wave equation, and now I would like to uh, present the electromagnetic uh, running equation, which are basically Maxwell equations. So a set of Faraday's laws, Ampere Maxwell's laws, two constitutive equations, and a current density. As you can see here, we are solving for magnetic field uh, H, electric field E, um, involving magnetic induction and electric displacement for the constitutive relationship. And that's kind of the, the, the excitation and the source term uh, here, which is a function of the electric field. And then this streaming current density, which uh, I'll show you how that links actually to the seismoelectric effect. As you can see for this set of equation, well, you know, you'll notice this curl function, which can be a little bit annoying to handle in terms of uh, resolution. So, on this paper, 2012 paper by Ikele, which was a, a, a full revelation in terms of using Maxwell uh, governing equation and rewriting them a little bit. So the way you rewrite them based on uh, Ikele formulation is by modifying these uh, two, three set of equations by writing um, the uh, magnetic field and the magnetic uh, induction, as well as the magnetic permeability slightly differently. So initially, you have a vector, and here you will write them as a anti-symmetric matrix or tensor, as you can see here. And when you do that and you replace in this equation, that's what you end, uh, end with. So at that point, maybe not quite yet, but if we are using now this system of equation and writing things a little bit differently, that's what you get. And at that point, you should uh, uh, recognize that this looks very well like the mathematical formulation of the seismic wave equation, as you can see here. The only difference being that here you have a minus term and here for the strain on the seismic side, you have a plus term. But other than that, considering that uh, J is your source term, everything very much look alike. So based on this equivalence, I went on to uh, implement this set of equation in SpecFem very much following the implementation of the uh, seismic equation. So that allowed, obviously, to have uh, the bioproelastic um, seismic equation as well as the electromagnetic equation in the same code being ready to uh, couple to couple the two. So um, that's also a way to leverage the, the SPECFEM, same arch architecture than the seismic wave equation. We are now so resolving this electromagnetic uh, equation uh, using a spectral element approach. And um, I did something that uh, Ikele 
it, it, it put the equations together, but it actually didn't implement it, implementing them. And at that point, uh, when I performed the implementation, I also wanted to take into account the fact that we do have attenuation and dispersion processes involved with the permeability and with the conductivity, which resemble uh, how we handle an elasticity in the seismic case. So that's also included in the in the final formulation. So okay. Just to summarize some uh, um, equivalence between electromagnetic and seismic wave equation, for the seismic part, we are solving for the displacement U. For the electromagnetic part, we are actually solving for the electric field E. Now, the stress is actually uh, the time uh, derivative of the magnetic field, density rho equivalent to the, the uh, optical permittivity, the uh, elastic tensor, resemble the magnetic permeability tensor now and the strain is the magnetic induction and this term um, here the, the the convolution of the conductivity and the time variation of the the electric field actually has the same behavior as the viscous damping in the poor elastic equation and then the streaming uh, uh, current here become your your uh, full source term all right so again we have bo on one end for the seismic part and Maxwell on the other end for the electromagnetic part. And now we are coupling the two to handle the seismoelectric um, uh, effects. So the way it's done is through these uh, coupling, coupling term here, QV, which is a, a way to capture the, um, the, 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 the amount of uh, movable charges in your porous media. So again, remember at the, at the start, I said that the, the, the electric current comes from the movement of these ions in the in the Proust uh, network. So that's what this factor QV is capturing. Now you also see that although I'm focusing and I've been talking about seismic to electric conversion, we are also capturing the reverse of, 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 of that um, coupling, which is electric to seismic conversion through that term. So again, you have a elastic seismic equation here, which generate a Darcy flow, that's, that's what is captured into that um, acceleration here, which generate an electric current and is going to drive your uh, um, uh, electric equation. So at, the, at that time when this electric current is generated, it also can drive your uh, seismic uh, equations. That's what you can see here. Not that the seismic to electric conversion so has been observed, like I said in the late 30s, the electric to seismic uh, uh, conversion, that's, that's something which is extremely, extremely weak, but uh, we, can, we can model it here in, uh, in, in that case. So now, so we have that uh, implemented in, in SpecFem, and I just run a couple of synthetic cases based on carbon storage monitoring. So this is a, a little cartoon showing you uh, in 2D uh, two well surveys. So you have a well where you have your seismic source, a well where you have uh, receivers, so both geophones and electrodes, and also for the sake of it, uh, a surface receivers here. So that will be before CO2 injection. And this one is after CO2 injection, where I just you know, put a, a, a medium of uh, different properties which are close to the, the uh, CO2, um, CO2 properties. So um, just to be clear, this homogeneous medium here is a porous medium. So um, we are modeling here um, a brine-saturated porous medium. Uh, and here we're just changing so the, the fluid properties to CO2 
compared to brine. That changes not only the mechanical properties, wave speed are different, but that also changes, and here, I wrote it here, the resistivity or the reverse of the conductivity. There is actually three order of three orders of magnitude difference in the conductivity between a brine saturated medium and a CO2 saturated medium. Um, and as you can see here, we are using um, Ricker wavelet of 120 hertz here to um, uh, trigger the system. So, OK, let's let's look at before CO2 injection. So this is a homogeneous medium. What do we record? As you can see here at the top, this is the solid uh, seismic displacement, the triggering of the source. Uh, the receivers are here. You can see the front of the P wave. Everything uh, behaves like you would expect. Now, if you look at the electric field, you can see the same type of uh, wavefront propagating at the same time as the seismic displacement. This is the, the co-seismic electric field, which is directly triggered by this uh, solid displacement. So we just checked that we were able to measure this uh, co-seismic electric signal. Now, looking at before CO2 injection and after CO2 injection, and looking at the um, synthetic data set collected at the surface receivers and the borehole receivers, you can see here the seismic displacement in that column and the electric field uh, in that column here. Uh, a little bit of noise here, but uh, please disregard that. But for the surface receivers, you see a classical P move out here being recorded again before CO2 injection. So that's just a homogeneous medium. And for the uh, borehole uh, receivers here, you see, you know, again, classical move out uh, of the of the P wave. Now on the electric field side, uh, it's very small, but I Trust me, it, it was there. There is a quasi-instantaneous uh, signal which corresponds to the time at which the, the, the Ricker uh, excitation uh, has been triggered. And you can see it slightly better here. That's a quasi-instantaneous interface signal which corresponds to the surface here. And then the co-seismic uh, electric signal, which again has the same form as the, the P wave. And for the borehole uh, receivers, we observe the same. You can see a little bit more here of that quasi-instantaneous uh, source excitation. And again, here very nicely, the um, interface uh, conversion here, which correspond to the when the the, 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 the front of the wave hit, hit the surface. So that's here. And here again, co-seismic signal, which resemble the P wave. Now, after injection, so we have that um, you know, a very cartoonish rectangle here in the area, what do we see? On the seismic displacement, again, P wave, and on, in the borehole P wave here, in, in, a, in a shape that resembled the before injection. Now we know that if we were to actually uh, put them to, together, there is a delay in, uh, in, um, in, the, in, the, in the waveform because the wave speed, again, is affected by the, the, the CO2 properties. But other than that, pretty much, you know, just a, a P wave that, uh, that you, you, you see there. On the electric side, on the other end, things are a little bit more, more complex. So you see here, that's your co-seismic electric signal. There is also the interface here corresponding to the surface that is now, you know, doesn't have a, quite a strong um, uh, amplitude because most of that signal is dominated by these two uh, strong uh, interface conversion, which correspond to the edges of that anomaly in the medium, and that you can see them 
uh, in the surface receivers and the, in the borrow receivers. So I hope I convince you that this on these synthetic uh, models, we can really uh, model that seismoelectric uh, uh, effects, which translate into a co-seismic electric signal propagating at the same speed as the seismic uh, signal but also quasi-instantaneous electric signal generated when the seismic source is, is triggered, and also quasi-instantaneous seismic to electric conversion at material discontinuity. So here, either uh, surface or the, this anomaly of, uh, of a different uh, element in the subsurface. So to conclude, um, uh, I hope I successfully showed that we are able to model numerically the seismometric effects, which are seismic to electric conversion, by, characterized by co-seismic electric signal, quasi-instantaneous electric signal from the seismic source, quasi-instantaneous um, interface response. I show a, a, a synthetic case of carbon storage monitoring, but I think that was also um, uh, uh, quite valid to show the sensitivity to electric uh, contrast due to the injection of carbon storage of uh, CO2. Uh, this seed dataset can capture unique information as opposed to purely seismic or purely electromagnetic records. And finally, um, because you only use one seismic source and then geophones and electrodes, it's a more effective, uh, cost-effective uh, field survey than to run seismic uh, surveys on one hand and electromagnetic uh, surveys on the other end, which would each use a different uh, and separate uh, sources and deployment. So as I said, I just wanted to finish on um, a new project that, uh, that we're leading following up on this uh, uh, numerical um, extension to seismometric effect that's uh, funded by a, a European agency, Geothermica. I mean, that was a, geo, um, a European called Geothermica. Uh, our pro project uh, proposal is named Seismoelectric Effects for Geothermal Resources Assessment and Monitoring, acronym C4GEO. And the goal here is to assess the C techniques in terms of data acquisition, cost, and quality for geothermal subsurface imaging and monitoring, so at reservoir scale. And again, uh, the claim is that it will be a low-cost deployment technique compared to the classical seismic on one end and electromagnetic on the other end. And what we are doing and, and fortunate to do with um, colleagues from uh, University of Hawaii at Manoa, uh, Université de Pau et des Pays de la Dour and INRIA uh, in France, as well at a company TLS Geothermics in, uh, located in France and our Norwegian colleague in Montviro and North, we are putting together a team with a numerical a lab experiment and field uh, uh, deployment uh, expertise. So we are looking at a fully integrated approach where um, we're developing this time a um, in-end user-friendly C numerical package to improve subsurface characterization. Today, I only handled the forward calculation, but as I said at, at, the, at the beginning, I'm also looking at integrating a joint uh, approach to be able to generate um, sensitivity kernels for the seismic, electromagnetic, and the coupling of, uh, of, of these two which will allow us to invert for not only um, uh, rock properties, but also uh, fluid properties at the same time. Um, we are 
coupling that with uh, laboratory experiments to, to study C-signal dependence on temperature and electrolytes, as well as support and validate our numerical approach. And finally, the field survey will be the, the, the cherry on the cake to show the practical use of the seismoelectric effect for actual uh, um, geothermal uh, monitoring. And these are informed not only by the laboratory experiments, but also by the uh, numerical modeling. And if you are the AGU uh, uh, this year, I'll be uh, giving an invited talk as an overview and also show some of these uh, already uh, collected uh, set of, of data uh, on Monday. There will be also another talk uh, focusing on that coupling term. I went through it very quickly, but it's actually frequency dependent. So we also run a separate study just to see what kind of uh, approximation we can carry on that uh, on that um, factor and still be accurate in our modeling. And finally, the last session will be uh, on the laboratory experiment and show the dependence of that uh, seismoelectric signal to temperature and the, the type of dielectric um, fluid that we have in the subsurface, which is uh, critical in, in a geothermal setting. Uh, so I think I went very quickly, but that leaves a lot of time uh, for, for questions. So thank you for your attention. Thank you, Christina. Uh, do we have any questions? People can raise their hand or type something into the chat. I'll ask one. Um, sure, go ahead. Yeah, great talk, Christina. Um, Thank you. What, what are specifically the electric properties uh, that you think can be constrained in the subsurface and, and which of, of those uh, do you think uh, can be best resolved? So when you look at the equation, you see that the uh, electric properties will be the um, permittivity and the conductivity here. We also have the, the um, magnetic uh, permeability here, but that's usually, uh, you know, uh, in terms of looking at the subsurface, something that can be uh, constant. So I'm not, I'm not expecting to resolve that much. In terms of the permittivity and the conductivity, the conductivity will be the 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 the, the element which will have the the, the strongest uh, sensitivity with what we we're, we're looking at. Um, uh, when I saw the uh, carbon storage synthetic case, you might have noticed the um, dominant frequency that is used in those in those cases, which will be very close to what we also will use in the in the geothermal setting, which are in the hundred of uh, of hertz. So in essence, you are in the diffusive uh, kind of domain of the electromagnetic equation. So in that case, sensitivity is more on the conductivity than the permittivity. So yeah, conductivity will be the, 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 the properties, the main properties that we will be inverting for the, for the electromagnetic part. Okay, thanks. Steve? Hickman? Yeah, hi, hi. That was a fascinating talk. And I'm curious, um, do you have to worry about attenuation of the electromagnetic signal as it approaches the borehole array or the surface? And what does this mean for sort of depth limitations of this joint inversion technique? Yeah, no, excellent question. Uh, um, the electric signal from that conversion is known to be uh, strongly attenuated. Uh, the signal to noise ratio is actually some of the, the risk of, of the approach. Now, um, we were fortunate to be able to 
didn't put uh, their name here, but uh, through that uh, that uh, project that we are now involved uh, in, to work with um, Eric Butler from the University of uh, New Brunswick, and he's developed pre-amplifiers specifically for seismoelectric measurement. So that's for the field deployment, something that can boost uh, that uh, uh, that signal. So that's the, the one hand. Second hand, we are also working on modeling some of these field deployment to try and optimize the, the geometry of the of the deployment. Where will it be you know, more efficient to put your geophones and electrodes to get the, the maximum uh, return on, on that signal? And then finally, for the processing, we will also be looking at a kind of interferometric technique to try and boost again that uh, that response. But you're right that attenuation is our main uh, <laughs> enemy for this for this approach. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it looks like it has great potential. So I'm very curious to see how it works for geothermal fields, since we don't really have a good way of imaging fluid flow, especially stimulated by seismic deformation. So this is very promising. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I had another question too. In the observation well, it, wells are typically cased with steel with metal. Seeing through that steel, is that a problem for the antenna array or not? And how do you deal with that? Again, good, 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 very good question. So that's why I'm fortunate because I am not a field person to uh, be working with two, two companies, TLS Geothermics and Monviro. So they are the one designing, you know, the, 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 the proper aspect of, uh, of these electrodes to be able indeed not to be uh, blinded by, by those type of, uh, of casing. Yeah. Okay. So a special installation of some sort. Yes, yes. Great. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Excellent work. Thanks. Thank you. I guess. Um, oh, Jamie? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, um, I'm just curious. Could you use the just the uh, electric um, to get at water table? Like if you want to image water table um, without even using the seismic, it was that a use, would this method be useful for just trying to identify shallow water table in, in alluvium? Yes, yeah, not very much. And actually that's, um, obviously I went very quickly on that last slide since, you know, <clears throat> that's, that's my EG talk. Um, but we are um, fortunate to um, collaborate with a colleague in France uh, who did his PhD and collected uh, seismoelectric data set in in you know in France on a you know little, little little field scale? So for us that gives gives us kind of an intermediate scale from lab to then the, the full geothermal scale. But in his data set, uh, um, he's able to see that there are record of the water table in the area where he ran that uh, that experiment uh, that is being illuminated by the uh, uh, electric electric field. So yeah, very much yeah. Yeah, that, that's that's great. Thanks. This is a really great talk. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I guess I have a kind of question. Like, is there a, a thermoelectric coupling that you have to account for? That's yeah, good question. So um, I, I led that to my uh, um, colleague who are running the laboratory experiment. So they will be looking at the impact of temperature definitively on, on, on the signal. Now, the effect of temperature itself, that's not something that uh, I was planning on implementing in the seismic equation themselves. Um, it will be more getting kind of an, an um, average ID of because um, in the geothermal setting, you know, the, the temperature will be kind of in the 200, 200 something degrees Celsius 
And so for me, in terms of um, uh, analyzing that uh, that um, that type of um, a medium will be okay. That's a uh, average temperature, and that's not something that I will be implementing in the equations themselves. But again, the laboratory experiment will be able to show us, you know, what's the sensitivity, and will you know, 10 degrees, 50 degrees have any influence on on that signal? That's that's something that they still have to uh, to to show. But that's a good question. Yeah. Oh, sounds exciting. Do we have any yeah. other questions? Steve, you're back. Or? I'm back. So I have another question. <laughs> so um, your movable charge density, um, your forcing function, of course, is, is the poroelastic deformation from passing, passing seismic waves. But have you thought about what would happen during a hydraulic stimulation displacing formation fluid with other kinds of fluids with different electrical properties that will affect the electrical double layer, different conductivities? You might get a bigger signal there, and I'm just wondering if that's something you've also worked on in addition to this. You know, yeah, that, that's great. Uh, no, but you're not the first person to actually uh, make that comment in terms of once you are injecting and the electrolyte is, is changing, would that also trigger some, some kind of electric signal? So not something that I've been modeling per se, uh, but that's definitely an interesting uh, interesting point. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be very complicated because it'd be triggering seismicity at the same time. So your strain fields will be complicated, but you might get a very large signal. It might be a great way to track fluid flow in the subsurface during stimulation or injection to do seismicity. So yeah, yeah, the, yeah. That, no, no, that that's uh, that that's definitely an interesting point. Uh, at the moment, yeah, we we are looking at static kind of um, uh, state, but it's true that uh, especially with geothermal, we are eager to see also what transport. What kind of effect it's going to have, and that's actually something that the uh, our colleague with their laboratory experiment, they are not only looking at temperature and the the nature of the electrolyte, but eventually, and that will be uh, stage two, they will be looking at transport and how does that influence the, the signal? Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay. Thank you. Okay, um, I don't see any more questions. I think if anyone has any more questions, we can thank Christina again and um, stop the recording now and people can stick around just for a few more minutes if you want to have a little bit more of an informal chat. So thank you. Well, thank you again for the invitation. Thank yeah. you. Thank you.